I'd like to have guests introduce themselves. Could you share a bit about yourself? My name is Kevin Williams. I am the uh, group design director uh, at Right Point Consultancy, uh, a consultancy slash the experience agency out of Chicago. I co-lead the Dallas office and uh, husband, father, Batman fanatic, and uh, a budding entrepreneur. <laughs> this is about it. I love it. It was a good introduction that showed a little bit about yourself, both inside work, outside of work. And um, what pronouns do you use? I'm him, his... And you said that the company that you work for is based in Chicago and you're in Texas. Yeah, I'm in Dallas. So how big is, is your team in Dallas and like, do you lead people in Chicago? And what's that like to have like some remote teammates? It's pretty interesting. So we have 11 offices globally and uh, we were recently re- uh, acquired by Gympact, which is a larger, bigger entity. I really like the Chicago team. My boss is actually in Boston. Um, this guy by the name of Ed Flynn, he's a phenomenal, when it comes to creative culture and learning how to build creative cultures, uh, I think he's, he is one of the best I've ran across in my career. Um, but the national practice in and of itself runs out of Chicago. Uh, that's home base. I like it because I don't feel like we're trying to, you know, build an individual agenda in separate offices, right? We, we, we communicate often. Uh, we try to get together as much as we can break bread and stuff like that. And I like that we are trying to build and craft one vision, especially as it relates to post-merger stuff. Right. And so when it comes to collaboration and working with other individuals across the team, it's, it's really not that hard when you have one cohesive vision one way to kind of look at things and kind of get things done and the freedom to pivot when you have to, as long as you have this underlying underpinning uh, vision that you kind of want to go tackle. So that's been really cool. I've, I've rarely ran into that um, in my experiences, you know, with cross-functional teams in other cities or other countries. So, and it's, you know, logistically it's hard to keep up with, but if you have a baseline vision, and you know you're building that together and you know it's not perfect and makes things a little bit easier. And for the listeners that don't know, what are some of the things that you're building at Right Point? So right now we we do a lot of employee experience initiatives. So uh, whether we're leveraging Adobe, Sitecore, SharePoint as platforms and CMSs, but we're really working on ways to uh, help employees collaborate cross-departmentally and uh, with each other individually and really leverage, you know, just technologies. And so when you, when you talk about the enterprise employee experience, I mean, usually you run into situations to where it is literally one app, application, system cobbled together on top of the other. Right. It's just one thing on top of the other, but it's hard to bring all those applications or all those data sets or all those tools kind of in one cohesive employee experience. So oftentimes, especially as bigger the corporation is concerned. So a lot of times you find employees, you know, they may like their job, they may love their company, but they're frustrated with 
how they get work done and how to do work. I think we're as designers and, and practitioners and, and crafters of creativity and uh, we're one of the very few groups that kind of has a, you know, outside of developers that has a set methodology, set process, set tools, and we just kind of go make things happen. So as you find out, that's not, that's not the case across the board, probably with the exception of accounting. Right. Um, so um, we spend a lot of time doing that and enhancing employee experiences. We're, we're getting into um, more infotainment uh, systems and entertainment systems, uh, whether that be streaming services or uh, in-car uh, infotainment services, um, which is really, really cool because how we're positioning ourselves is is just as an experience company. But those are the three areas that we kind of, we, we dabble in and we have fun in, so... And how many people are on your team and how big is the design organization? I got a small squad, man. <laughs> the design organization is a couple hundred people, right? Wow. I, I'd say across the, uh, the 11 offices, we're probably 300 people, right? And there's 900 of us uh, in right point. So that's a pretty big, pretty nice little chunk. And, but my squad, so I help run, I run the Dallas team and I run the Denver team. Denver, I have two front end developers, one Android, one iOS guys. I got two app developers. And then in Dallas, I have one content strategist and one visual designer. Uh, when they brought me on in January, my goal was to help our managing director who, who runs the office build a, a creative culture. Right, a culture around creativity uh, with an emphasis of the craft of design. Right, and so right now I'm in the throes of building that team and and what it looks like and 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 what we're going to go do and how we're going to go do it. If someone wanted to join your team, maybe this is a good time to plug that. What what kind of roles are you hiring for, and how can someone uh, find those roles? So uh, right now you can go to rightpoint.com um, slash Dallas and it has open roles on there. Uh, currently I'm looking for a senior uh, experience architect, UX, uh, that kind of helps uh, on the artifact delivery and research synthesis uh, portion. I am looking for a strong visual designer. And I'm looking for, well, two strong visual designers and a content strategist. And are all those roles sort of Denver and Dallas? Or would you hire remote or all 11 of the right point uh, offices? I'm, I'm open to flexibility. I prefer them to be in Dallas. Uh, however, you know, especially with technology and everything now, and, and it, you know, it's important to me to find the right people, the right mix. And, and uh, if that person ha- happens to be remote, then you know, they're the right fit, uh, both soft and hard skill set. And I believe they fit into the culture and they can kind of integrate themselves into the work. Then that's what it has to be. Can you share a bit about your process or what a typical workday looks like for you? <laughs> oh, gosh. Typical workday post post dropping off kids at school is is. Uh, you know, one of the very first things I do when I get to the office is I sit, I just sit down, I turn on the lamps and I just sit down 
with a pen and a piece of paper. I've done this for years. I actually learned this process from a business mentor of mine back in uh, 2004. Um, and, you know, he, I mean, he was a multi, multi-millionaire and, and extremely successful. And um, he started every day with a pen and a piece of paper. And, you know, me, I added coffee. Um and I write down every single meeting that I have for that day. And then I write down everything that I need to accomplish for that day, right outside of meetings. And I spent about a good 25 minutes doing that. Now I put on some chill hip hop or some light jazz or Miles Davis to kind of get my mind right. Then I try to execute the low hanging fruit on that. I need to get this done less today. The reason I do that in the mornings is because I really want to free up my afternoons for craft and creative exploration and generating ideas and, and, and how do we move the needle forward. I really want to spend my afternoons doing that. Oftentimes, I don't get to do that just because of the position I'm in, but that's usually how I, I craft my days. I I My mornings are filled with meetings and admin stuff and hopefully around about two two o'clock i can free that up for creative exploration um and i go home and like you know i come home about five you know say what's up to the kids and stuff and then i kind of hop back on like at uh 7 30 bar and i'm not at an event or something like that with my children and uh, i use that time till about nine to really creatively explore and figure things out and, and still keep my hands dirty in the craft itself. Um, so, uh, usually every day is set up like that with the exception of Fridays for some odd reason, Fridays are like nuts for me. I mean, just me, it's like everybody forgot what they were supposed to do on Monday and they waited for Friday to kind of figure it out. So, um, but, uh, my days usually typically start out like that. And then, um, you know, and I, I have to contextually switch it depending on the type of project, right? If it's a pure design, uh, digital, uh, interface project, I'll, I'll do that. If it's, if we're talking about emerging tech, um, you know, within the AI construct as voice machine learning or, you know, anything like that, I'll spend a day doing that. And some days are I'm just geeking out to prototyping, right? I love to prototype and and dabble in motion design and, and leverage, figure out what that utility is. So um, it varies week to week, but typically mornings are admin meetings, afternoons are, are, are craft and creative. That afternoon, like creative exploration time that you talked about, what what does that look like to you or what's ideal to you? Like, do you always go right into a design tool or are you like big into sketching on paper? Or are you like a physical prototyper at all? So when I was a kid, I, I drew all the time and I still love to draw. I love the element of simplicity that drawing entails. So I, I, I always go to paper first. Uh, when I'm working on an interface or anything or an idea, uh, and if I write paragraphs or word 
you know, word associations or whatever. I always go to pen and paper first, pencil and paper. Um, I have more pens and pencils than I probably should have and markers and Sharpies and COVID markers and you name it. And I always go there first. Uh, if I'm really, really geeking out and trying to solve a problem, I'll get on a whiteboard and, um, and really try to do a lot of like just diagramming and things like that. But usually I, I, it's, it's, it's pen to paper first and I try to use that time, um, very constructively as it relates to, uh, solving a problem or moving something forward, like seeing a gap, um, where we're at and, and trying to figure out how to cross that gap or fill that gap up. Um, so those creative explorations are always centered around what if I'm a big proponent of people asking themselves, what if, what if we did this? What if we did that? I I love trying to build a culture of exploration and experimentation. What if, so an example would be like, we have an employee experience platform and we're implementing and somebody goes, you know, we want chat, right? Everybody wants chat. (laughs) And and you go, what if instead of chat bot, right? And that it, that gets linked to a knowledge base that has to be updated. What if we did, we built out a whole virtual assistant named it and uh, built a whole machine learning uh, mechanism behind that, that will hopefully lead into uh, a true voice assistance within the context of, you know, what needs to be done for them. So, and, you know, as a Batman guy, I'm always trying to figure out how to build Alfred, right? (laughs) And so, man, I just start diving in and I start exploring. I start reading and looking up and and really thinking about like the what if and drawing out the conversations, writing out the conversations, drawing out the diagrams, understanding the technology behind it that's going to power this thing. I mean, it fascinates me. And that's just one problem. I can marinate on that thing for hours and it just blows me away. Um, So... I really enjoy that process. What's one piece of advice for people just getting started out in design? Always learn, always start, always have a hunger for learning. Um, and, and don't, I heard something today off of the crazy one podcast that I kind of, that really resonates with me is, is, you know, creativity is this, and I've done so much research and in, in reading and and listening to uh, stories and, you know, news about creativity. Creativity is this kind of this magical, if we had any magic in this world, it would be creativity, <laughs> right? Like if in, in such this ambiguous, intangible, but tangible um, mechanism, which becomes this, this currency in which people communicate and identify with, and, and I think if anybody's getting into the design craft, they have to be open to the mystery and the the kind of ambiguity at times of creativity, because design will will be the mechanism, will be the communication tool 
the output of that creativity and, um, and just be open to that. And, and when you get these slumps, like you're, you're designing an interface or you're trying to do this, or you're trying to come up with a subject around a podcast or blog or whatever, or painting, you name it. Right. And, and explore other areas of creativity. And I'm telling you 10 times out of 10, that solution will come to you and always be willing to explore. And, um, that would be the second piece of advice I would have always be willing to explore and learn, not just the tools. I mean, these tools, you know, this, and I know this, these tools come and go one minute. It's sketch. Next minute it's XD. Next minute it's Figma. The next minute it's, it's now we're back to Photoshop and, you know, it's going to be Vue.js and Almond.js and Apple.js and like that. These tools come and go like crazy and, and it's almost hard to keep up with them. But if you, you keep a, an open mind to your creativity and an open heart for learning, I think you'll go far because the tools will come and go and won't even phase you. I think that those are both pieces of great advice. What about for people that are more senior like yourself? What advice do you have for design leaders and design managers? Stay humble. I mean, really don't get complacent and stay humble and, you know, it's funny, like, don't be afraid to hire or build a team that's better than you've ever been, right? Uh, when I tell people this, I'm like, I hire for, for somebody that's going to take my place. <laughs> it's weird because you're, you're just like, really? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, really? Uh, you know, because there's so much more out there that I, w- I want to explore and I want to see and I want to do. Um, so I hire for people that are going to take my place and hire people that are, that brings add value to the table and bring something to the table that you don't see. Hire, hire people that, that see your blind spots and, and always, and, and I guess that all culminates into just be humble, just be humble and know that this isn't all that there is and, and coach other people up to, to um, carry the torch forward as you move on to something else. And it, it, you may be a design leader and you've gotten to this point where you're just like, this is the show and I love the show and I'm never going to do anything else. And I have a good buddy in my name, Caleb, Caleb Wills, and he's a phenomenal creative director. And, you know, we were at a client's, uh, pitch meeting one day and then after the pitch we all went out and got dinners and drinks and you know our, our managing director we were all sitting there she goes what did you want to be in college when you're growing up she asked me I was like I didn't have a clue I knew I was good at drawing and designing and color theory and typography and that is all and they I got introduced to this crazy thing called HTML4 in, in Flash and then Buddy told me about CSS, and I was like, whatever, we'll just go, right? And Caleb looked at her, and he goes, I've always known since high school I wanted to be a creative director. I've always known. And he's a creative director, and he loves it, and it's the show. And he loves coaching other people up to be art directors and creative directors. Like, he knows it's not all about him because he knows he has other things to do and other things that he wants to do. So... That type of humility as a design leader will take you very, very, very far uh, just in life. I mean, as 
you know, I've been doing this for 23, 24, almost 25 years. You know, now that my kids are older, I'm just like, I, I want to go do something else. Like, it's funny how doctors become artists <laughs> like, all of a sudden, right? You know, just stay humble. And, and, and just like the young designers always wanting to learn, you know, have that open, that open mind for exploration and learning. I think it goes the same way for design leaders. But with the design leaders, it needs to have, have a heavy dose of humility, right? And, and I think your team and the people around you will see that humility. And when it's time for you to call them up and call them out into something bigger than they are and do something or work late or work harder or whatever to make something great, they'll respond to that because they're not coming. You're not coming from a place of ego. Um, you're coming from a place of just humility and a desire to, to, to make something really awesome. That's bigger than all of us combined. And so I think as a leader, you need a heavy dose of humility or you will get humbled. <laughs> you know, it happens. I mean, I've, I've seen guys that have not been humbled and be humbled really, really quick. And um, it's not fun. It's happened to me in my career. It's not fun. Um, and, and if you do it right, you'll take an assessment of who you are and what you want to be and, and change course and change it in humility. You know, I think you talked uh, about the like magic that is uh, being creative. And I think there's a lot of great in our industry, but on the flip side, there's a lot of bad. Yeah. What are your tips for fighting and resisting the white supremacy, the patriarchy, the racism, the homophobia, the other bigotry that we see in our industry? You know, here's the funny thing. I talk about humility and I think there is an extreme lack of humility, right? We got a lot of ego in our in our in our little world, our little corner of the world, right? Got a lot of ego, right? Because think about it. So what we do, you know, design is now seen as a commodity, or 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 this person has to be the smartest guy in the room, or the smartest girl in the room, or like, uh, or or whatever. And almost we're living and acting the perfect detrimental irony, if you will, right? We're supposed to be these open, creative, crafty, embracing of all things, you know, type people, but yet and still we have, our ego gets in the way. I, it's just ego, man. The most beautiful thing about creativity in, in the craft of design is the embracing of other thoughts and other, other viewpoints and other, and other ideas that culminate into something that is bigger than us and that is new and that, that people can experience. And I think when you, when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, I think a lot of people in our industry just, just, you know, pay it lip service. I'm a, I'm a black man in tech, right? And I've been doing this for 20 some odd years. I have, gay friends, I have white friends, I have Hispanic friends, I have um, friends that are lesbian, friends that are that are, are atheists and agnostics. I mean, it, filled, it runs the gamut. And to me, that's like a beautiful thing, right? And, and I think when ego gets in the way, like it has in our industry, this is why we don't see any, if anybody or any industry should be pushing things forward, it should be us. 
I mean, look at the mess that Google has on its hands. I mean, it's a, it's a nightmare. And the guy who's running it is Indian, right? You're like, how does this happen, right? Because they've been known as a brand for inclusivity, inclusivity of thought, inclusivity of design, inclusivity. I mean, Matthias Duarte is by far one of the best design creative minds, I mean, out there right now. And they got a mess. They got an inclusivity mess on their hands right now. I think oftentimes ego just gets in the way. I think ego just gets in the way and we lose sight to the fact that this thing is bigger than us as a collective. Um, I told this kid when uh, I was mentoring and coaching early in early 2000s, uh, I was kind of did a lot of youth mentoring. And I told this kid, I, he wanted to get into web design. He's a super creative kid. And I go, the greatest gift that the creative universe ever gave us was a blank canvas. This is the greatest gift, right? And I think we forget about the blank canvas and we just get in our own way. I think it's ego that's plagued our industry. It's a bunch of ego and a lot of people that are trying to make names for themselves and, and get on the speaker circuit and get out a book and, you know, make their name great. And when you're trying to make your own name great, then you're stepping on people. And that's the reason we have, because uh, it's ego. And that's the reason we have the problems we have today in our industry. We should be changing the game, but, you know, we're not. And it's kind of sad to watch, especially as you get higher, like I am, and as a design leader, you start to see it more, and you're just like, dude, just calm down. Like, it ain't about you, right? And um, ego just gets in the way. I think we've just created a society of just of, of people that have just need to, this incessant need to make it right and make a name for themselves and it's that's just doing it for the love we get into this game because we enjoy it and we had a talent for it uh, but now i mean i mean you can go anywhere get a course and go start speaking at some stuff around town and all of a sudden you made a name for yourself but you don't really have the the chops craft wise to back it up and uh you'll step on people to just to keep that name up and there you go you're an ego and you got a problem on your hands. You forgot, you forgot what got you here. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about just like, be humble, be humble. And like keep exploring. And I think you're right that like, it is the creative industry that should be leading, not trailing and maybe causing all the problems or a lot of the problems. Yeah. I mean, where is the empathy gone? Right. And I guess I'm a little bit more sensitive to to other people's viewpoint because I'm African-American and I'm in the tech industry and I'm on the design side and I'm a design leader. I've beat all, thankfully I've beaten all the odds. And to me, that's just a blessing. But like, where's the empathy when we're approaching a problem and someone who is gay raises a point of view and sometimes in that room, we automatically automatically dis, dismiss that point of view because that person is gay or that person is a woman or that person is a black woman or that person is Hispanic, right? Where's the empathy, right? And, and we shouldn't be doing that at all because at the end of the day, 
I haven't walked in your shoes and you haven't walked in mine. But the thing is, when I when I dismiss your point of view, we don't come together as one, right? It's it's and then you're fighting who's right and who's wrong. Right? It's, it's Kevin right because he's the you know group design director and you know he has the authority, or is you know, or is Zach right because he has this particular point of view and um, that Kevin is blind to who's right. Reality is nobody's right. The reality is we just got to we got to figure it out together. And you may be bringing a point of view that I may be blind to that's going to change the game. And if I'm not open to that, and if I'm not humble with that, then I've 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 failed as a leader, as a practitioner, and just it's just a failure of just being human. And we got we just got to get back to. We got to get back to the empathy. We got to stay humble. We got to we got to get humble. Uh, quit trying to make a name for yourself. You know, you know when these two things that I'm 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 trying to launch here in the next couple months. I'm not doing it for the money. I'm just doing it because I, I enjoy doing it. And you know, um, I'm watching Design is Cake. Um, if you want to know information about it, you can follow me on at Brand Lessons on Twitter. Um, and then I'll get everything going. It's just a URL for right now, but I'm launching that because I want to give back to the community that's given so much to me. Right. You know, I, I didn't, I don't look at my career and go, man, I made it as a black man in tech. No, you know how many people, white, black, women, gay, straight, atheists, religious have actually put their neck out for me to help me get where I'm at. And I want to give back to the community that's given back to me. You make money, fine. You don't, fine. You know, it's just my way of just hearing those conversations of the community that that they get up and do this every day. And um, I think we have to get back to that. We have to get back to that humility. We have to get back to that that empathy. We have to get back to that openness. And you know, one of the funniest things I, I love to talk about. You know, especially as design leaders that have been in this game for for a while, is go back. You remember when we had to hand draw all our typefaces and then create all those weird characters and you know, 150 thumbnails that would do like overnight and all this other stuff. You trade these war stories, right? That's part of our community. That that's what makes community great. But when it's infected with ego and name edification, right? We start to lose sight of who we are as a human. And, and, and our job is, is to use creativity to bring humanity together, not tear it apart. Who is one person that the listeners should know about? It's my girl, Rahaf Harfouche. Uh, she wrote the book Hustle and Float. And um, she doesn't know who I am, but I know who she is. Oh, my gosh. I love her for the research that she's done. That book literally was the catalyst to, and I read it last year. Um, It's been out for a little bit, but I read it last year, and it was so eye-opening because it it talks about everybody in our industry, the creative industry. Right. Whether you're a writer or a painter, uh, a digital artist, uh, a web designer, a developer, you know, 
a podcast or you name it. It talks about people that, that are, are creative for a living. Golly, man, that book just, it kind of hit me in the gut, slapped me in the face and put some cold water on my head and woke me up a little bit because I got complacent, you know, and I was the one that was trying to chase after the next industry thing and get big. And then, you know, it's funny after I, after Adobe Max, when I met you and the rest of the team, I came back from Adobe Max realizing that this community is so much bigger than myself and 17,000 of us nut creative people <laughs> descended upon poor Staples Center. And it was such a beautiful, beautiful thing, beautiful the sight to see everyone from all walks of life and all thoughts. It was, it, to me, it was, it was beautiful. And then I read that and that golly hustle and float is a game changer. And, um, you know, Rahaf, she's amazing. Rahaf Farfush. I'm probably butchering her name, but, um, amazing. I will link to her and her book in the show notes for people to click on. And I'm looking forward to reading that based on your recommendation. Um, it might be the same answer to this question, but feel free to share if it's not. What book do you think everyone should read? Hustle and Float. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, you know what, though? Another one that I've, it's been out for a while that I'm just now reading is uh, Big Magic. Elizabeth Gilbert, yeah, she, Big Magic's been good. Um, the other one is Spanish Your Inner Critic. It's another good book. The, these books are just around the practice of creativity and the practice of, of, of embracing, you know, what we've been designed and created to do and being okay with that, right? If I was an accountant, and no, you not to diss accountants. I mean, there's, I mean, there's people that just love numbers, and they, I mean, they put not, they put spreadsheets together like it's magic. And I look at that and I go, oh my gosh, I know. But they, when they describe it, I got a good friend that's a CPA, and when he describes what he does, I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> like, like, but he describes it with such awe, like, yeah, I put this pivot table bill and, and I was able to import some data for some regression numbers and all this other stuff. I'm like, dude, you, oh, you sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. But Banishing and a Critic, Big Magic, and Hustle and Flow, those are the three. You know, for consistent listeners of this podcast, the last episode with Holly Arnett, she also recommended Big Magic. So I, if it's not already on your reading list, you should definitely read it. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a really, really good one. I believe everyone should get paid for their time. So on this show, we share the profits from our advertisements and supporters with all of our guests. Are there other ways the listeners can support you? It's it's funny. I've never been asked that question before. <laughs> I am deeply passionate as it relates to the safety and protection of children. There's, there's an organization called Love 146 um, that I've been involved in for quite some time, um, that I've known about for quite some time. That's the best way, you know, um, the next generation protecting them, guiding them, bringing them up into everything that they should be 
that's near and dear to my heart. Like, if I read stories about bullying, I cannot handle it. Like, I'll cry. Like, I can't handle it. I have to take it out of my newsfeed. Like, I just can't handle it. And as a father, that's that's always you. The protection of your children is always your, your number one worry as a parent. Uh, and you're one of my top responsibilities. But uh, Love 146 is, is a good one. Um, and if you guys can read about what they're doing and, and how they're impacting the world, yeah, it's a good one. I will also put a link in the show notes for people to, to support because I think that's fantastic. And thank you for sharing. Yeah. Where's the best place for people to find you? So um, I don't tweet terribly too much. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just look up Kevin Williams, right point, Kevin Williams, brand lessons. You can find me there. Uh, but Twitter is brand lessons. And uh, once design is cake and the, um, the other ones, the other uh, ventures launch, I'll, I'll have Twitter handles there. But the best way to find me is on Twitter at Brian Lessons. Or you can find me on Instagram at Brian Lessons. Um, it's usually me being goofy, you know, putting too much froth in my coffee or <laughs> something like that. But those three areas, LinkedIn, Twitter.com slash brand lessons and Instagram slash dot com slash brand lessons. That's where you can find me. Fantastic. Kevin, thank you so much for being on Bessier. Zach, man, it was a pleasure. I know it's been a long time coming. We've been trying to put this thing together <laughs> for a hot minute, but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy everything that you do. It was, I think it was serendipitous and it was a blessing that we met, uh, in LA and, um, I wish you the best of luck, man.